a deep moment of despair uh, when someone is in trouble. Um, you know, I remember from watching films as youngster Bambi, when the mum's shot, that is like one of the saddest moments in film history. Um, who can forget the ice caps melting in Ice Age 3? Mm. Moment of despair, terrible. The Fellowship of the Ring when they're in the mines of Moria and Gandalf gets taken, despair. Um, Rapunzel trying to escape from her evil godmother entangled. One of my favourite films. Um, and you see, I reckon all these films, they all have these deep moments of despair when someone's in trouble. And that's a big reflection, I think, on, on the nature of all humanity. Um, despair is something we all encounter. Um, and I guess today we're going to see that Lot, he is in a lot of trouble. He's in a lot of trouble. And today hopefully we're going to see not only that his Lot's trouble are kind of a picture of our trouble, but we're going to see Abraham's rescue is a picture of our rescue that we need as well. So first of all, a lot of trouble. Just look back with me to chapter 13 and we'll see where his trouble begins. Uh, Chapter 13 and verse 10. A lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham lived in the land of Caban, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. And last time we met, we saw that there was this big choice. And Abraham said to, to Lot, you get to choose where you want to live. And Lot, we saw, chose with his eyes. He looked at it and he thought, this looks brilliant. Even though it's away from where God wants me to be, I'm going to choose to live there. So he chose to live near Sodom. And Sodom in Genesis is in the east. And to go east is to go away from God. And so Lot basically is saying, actually, I'm I'm kind of going to head away from God a bit. That's kind of where he is. Um, He thinks he can find sort of pleasures and security near Sodom. Um, He's actually on his way to trouble, but his trouble gets much worse. Because now he's living, look at 14 verse 12. At the end of 14 verse 12 says, he was living in Sodom. Uh, So before he pitched his tents near Sodom, and now he's living in Sodom. He's moved further away from what God wants. He's now living in a place which we've learned already is a place of wickedness. And he's totally happy to live there. If you like, it seems like the picture is he's, he's joined in with the wickedness. He's embracing a life without God. He's in a lot of trouble. And it's all his own fault. He's gone, made that sort of flirted with sin by choosing to go near Sodom, and now he's living in Sodom. But it gets worse for him, uh, because chapter 14 is this picture of all these kings. And where he's living is a land that is basically ruled by Babylon. And Babylon, the big picture of Babylon in the whole Bible, and already in Genesis, is a place that is totally against God. And the land where he's living is ruled by the king of Babylon. 14 verse 1. At that time, Amraphel was the king of Shinar. And Shinar is Babylon. He's living in an occupied territory. That is ruled by the one who hates God and anything to do with him. And you see verse 4. For 12 years, the place where he lived, they were subject to Kador Leoma. Who was kind of ruling for Shinar in that area. But in the 13th year, the place where he lived, the king there, the king of Sodom, rebelled. Oh, hello. Just push that down if you want. Just close the lid. It's fine. I don't need it. Just close it. It's fine. I don't need it. Thank you. Um, 
fine. I don't need it. Sure. Yeah, totally sure. Thanks. So you see, he's in lots of trouble. He's in a lot of trouble. He's decided to flirt with sin. He's rejected God. He's now living in the place where they're totally against God, and there's now about to be a war. He's in a lot of trouble. And notice what the place actually is like. He said it looked like the land of the land garden of the Lord. But look at verse 10. This is where he lives. The valley of Sidon was full of tar pits. And when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them and the rest fled to the hills. Sodom is a place of pits. Horrible, muddy, dirty death traps, basically. That's where he lives. And the people who he's with, some of them are fall into these pits and die. It's what it's like. I think there's a real picture here of someone who is in the pits. A place of despair, helplessness, a place of death. He's in a lot of trouble. But it gets worse. Look at verse 12, which is where the first line verse is all leading us to of all those names. Verse 12, here we go. They also carried off Abraham's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. He's been caught up in the war and now he's a slave. Being taken off towards China, towards Babylon. He's enslaved. He's heading further and further east, which is where Babylon is, further and further away from God in the picture of Genesis. And it seems like that's it for the rest of his life. What hope has he got? The global superpower of the time has come to his part of the world and conquered him. He's dragged off from one pit to another, if you like. He is in a lot of trouble. See, Lot's trouble is, I think, basically boils down to the fact he just doesn't trust God. He's brought into a way of life where God is not important. He's against the global superpower. He's in the pit, the place of death. He's now a slave who can't escape, and he's heading for total destruction. That's where Lot is. And like I said right at the start, Lot is a picture of all humanity. He's a picture of all humanity. A picture of people who live life without God. And you see, the thing is, that is what some of us were and some of us in this room still are. People who live life without God. That's what some of us were and what some of us are still. People who live life without God. You see, we can all be people who don't trust God. We've bought into the life of everyone around us. We've totally embraced it. And we've embraced it so much that God is now irrelevant. And you see, if that's you, then then you're against God. And see, the Bible uses this word of being enslaved, which is just like Lot, about the way we are with sin, where we just can't help ourselves but, but do the wrong thing, where we go against God all the time. And the Bible says that if we're, we're like that, then, then we're heading for death, just like Lot. We're in the pit. We're heading for the real pit, the eternal pit, as the Bible calls it. And it's all our own fault. It's all our own fault. That is all humanity has chosen to turn away from the God who gives incredible promises that we've seen already in Genesis 12 and 13. And just like Lot, there is nothing, nothing at all that we can do about it. Lot is totally hopeless and there's nothing he can do. Nothing at all. And that is what all of us either were and some of us still are. 
Lot is a picture of all humanity. And so the question is then, what do people in Lot's state of trouble need? What do they need? Well, they need a rescue, don't they? They need a rescue. And what we have here, because he's been conquered by the king of kings at the time, the king of Shinar, we need a true king of kings who will come and rescue. And I guess so Lot, as he's travelling up towards Babylon, as he's been captured and enslaved, and he walks the slow trudge of a slave uh, towards his destruction, I bet he's probably thinking, well, who's going to rescue me? Well, the only person he knows who's any worth, probably, is Abraham. But what does we know about Abraham at this point in Genesis? Well, he's, he's 75. He's no spring chicken, no warrior. Um, he's kind of, well, he's not really even king. He's more of a farmer at this point. Um, and my guess is he's thinking, that's it. Who's going to be bothered about me? See, Lot needs someone who can deal with his enemies, someone who is totally powerful, someone who cares about him and will risk his own life. And the shock is that Abraham is just that person. He doesn't look particularly strong. In fact, he's pretty weak. But he's going to be the rescuer. Uh, Just look at verse 14. When Abraham heard that his relative had been taken captive, and he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Abraham cares for Lot. Even though it's all Lot's fault he's in this state of trouble, he cares enough for him to straight away act. He totally cares for him. And so he gets the few hundred men he's got to go against the world's superpower and to try and rescue his nephew. And so verse 15, during the night, Abraham divided his men to attack them and... He routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobar, north of Damascus. Now, there's no great detail here about the rescue. It's all pretty quick. But all we get to hear is that Abraham, with a few hundred men, in the middle of the night, in Dan, which means judgment, rescues. It's an unlikely rescue. It is a surprising rescue. But it is an incredible rescue. Because notice, they didn't just win. It says they routed them which is not a word we use often enough. But routed means totally did them over. Totally crushed them. It's like a 7-0 football victory. That's a rout. Or an annihilation. I can't quite where you put the line for all these words. But he totally wins. It's a total butt-whooping. And you see, what he's done then, if he's won this battle, he has defeated all the other kings, hasn't he? Nine kings in all. And that makes Abraham a king of kings. If you be all the other kings, then you're the king of kings, aren't you? That's the way it works. And so Abraham is now this victorious king of kings. And he won the victory in the darkness, in judgment. That's what Dan means. And can you see what this king of kings rescuer achieves in his victory in the darkness, in the place of judgment? Verse 16. He recovered all the goods all the goods, and brought back his relative lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. What we have here is a picture of redemption, which is a Bible word for freeing someone from slavery. Lot was a slave heading towards destruction. Abraham swoops in and frees him. Totally freed from his slavery and destruction. What we have here is a a picture of a total victory. All Lot's enemies are routed. They're not going to come back and hurt him again. They're done with. 
the king of Shinar and all those other kings, they've got nothing on him anymore. Abraham has got rid of them all. They can't harm him. And what else does Lot get? He gets life back. He was heading for death. And now he gets life. Everything is returned to Lot. All his possessions, all the people that belong to him are given back. Abraham goes to extraordinary lengths. He travels hundreds of miles to catch up with him and rescue him. It's an incredible rescue. Well, if Lot is like all humanity when it comes to being in trouble, Abraham is like Jesus in the way he rescues. Because here we have, I think, a brilliant picture of the rescue that comes to those who don't deserve it. To people like me and people like you. People who don't trust God and want to move further and further away from him. Because what do we know about Jesus? Jesus really is the king of kings, isn't he? He's the king of the whole universe. And he comes to save those who don't deserve it at all. To rescue those who have got themselves in trouble. He comes and he wins a great victory for us. A rout, if you like. He routs sin and death. And he does it in judgment and in the darkness of the cross. He journeys into the pit of the grave and he comes back out and offers life. And you see, Jesus' rescue is far more costly than Abraham's rescue. You see, Jesus, his routing of our enemies took him to the place of darkness, the place of judgment, to the cross. That's where he went. And he bore for us the penalty of our not trusting God, all of it. He bore it all. And then he went to the grave and came up to give us life. He kicks death's butt, if you like, as he rises from the grave to say, death, you can no longer hold me and all those who trust me. You're never going to come back and haunt these ones. They are safe. He frees us from our sin. He takes the penalty for it and he now enables us to trust God. That's what he enables us to do. You see, he gives us life. Life now in relationship with God the Father. See, Jesus really is a true and a better Abraham. That's who Jesus is. This is the rescue. He's won for all humanity if they would only receive it. And for some of us in this room, you have received it. And some of you haven't. And I guess as if to hammer the point home that Abraham isn't the big deal in this passage, this guy Melchizedek rocks up. Um, one of the most sort of hard-to-grasp characters in the whole of the Bible. Uh, so just look with me, and I think what we get here in Melchizedek is this picture that Abraham, although he's a king of kings, he's not even the king of kings in this passage. Melchizedek is. Just look with me at verse 18. Um, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was a priest of God Most High. Now let me just say a couple of things about Melchizedek. Melchizedek means... King of righteousness. Okay? So here we have this king who's bigger and better than Abraham, as we'll see, because Abraham in verse 20 gives him a tenth of everything, which is a sign of saying, You're bigger and better than I am. And he's a king of righteousness. And also, he's king of Salem or Jerusalem, which means king of peace. So here we're given this new king rocks up from nowhere. 
Um, without father or mother, we learn later, without genealogy or past, eternal king, we seem to get the hint of. He's a king of righteousness, he's a king of peace, and he blesses. He blesses Abraham. Just look at verse 19. He blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. See, even this victory that Abraham wins here, it's not really Abraham's victory, it's God's. And you see, so what we have here, we have a true king of kings, even bigger and better than Abraham. A king of kings who tells us exactly what our king of kings will be like. He's one who is a king of total righteousness. A one who brings total peace with God. And not only that, he's a priest. You see, what we all need, we don't just need someone who can defeat our enemies. Like someone who can deal with sin and death, that's great. But we need more than that. We need more than a king, we need a priest. Because this is the sting in the tail. You see, we need a priest because what do priests do? They bring people to God and back into a relationship with him. You see, Lot was in loads of trouble. He was going to die. That was bad. But what he really needed was he'd gone away from God and he needed to come back to him. And so what he needed, even more than just what Abraham could provide, he needed a priest. Someone who would bring him back into a relationship with God the Father. And Jesus is that king and priest. He's the one who is totally righteous. The one who can bring us total peace with God. And he's our priest who brings us into the presence of God the Father. That's who he is. And so at the end of this chapter of Genesis, we're left with with a kind of choice. There's two ways really that life can go here. See, either you you carry on with Lot and you you carry on living in Sodom. And we'll see what happens to that in chapter 19. But let me tell you that basically living in Sodom is to live the way of the world. It is a place actually which might look attractive on the outside, but it is a place filled with danger. It's where you'll be enslaved to sin. It's a pit. It is death and it will lead to destruction. That's what the king of Sodom will give you. Or... Or you can go to the king of kings. You can go to Jesus. And what is his kingdom like? What will, his king, what will this king bring you? Well, he'll bring you rescue. He'll free you from slavery. He'll give you freedom and life and blessing. And he'll bring you to God the Father. And so today, which king are you going to receive stuff from? The king of Sodom or the king of kings? Let me urge you to receive all that the King of Kings wants to give you. He wants to free you from your sin. He wants to bring you to God the Father. He wants to give you life that will go on forever. What an incredible King. And he goes to such lengths to give you those things. And so, don't find yourself in a lot of trouble. Go to him and receive rescue. And let me pray right now that we would do that. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, the King of Kings. We thank you that in him we can be rescued from our trouble. Uh, We are sorry that we are those who choose to, to not trust in you and to go away from you. 
And yet, even when we do that, you provide us a rescue in your King of Kings, your Son, Jesus. And Father, we pray that we might receive from him uh, that freedom from sin. That he might bear the punishment for us, that we might go free. That we might receive from him life itself, that we might have the true hope of death defeated. Father, help us all in this room tonight to trust in him and receive from him. And Father, would that bring us great joy, I pray, in his name. Amen. Great, well, what we're going to do now is just spend a couple of minutes in our groups and um, pondering how is, how is the world like Lot? How, why, why, do, why do people need a rescue? And where are the place, different places that people go to find rescue? And how does Jesus provide us the rescue we need? So there's those three things, really. Why does the world need a rescue? Where do people go for it? Why does Jesus provide it? Uh, just two or three minutes. Five minutes, actually, and then we'll see to finish.